What's up, Biker Bar? I'm Robert, and this is episode 102 of the Biker Bar podcast live stream. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I know it's been, uh, it feels like it's been a long time since I've been on. I don't know what it was last weekend. I think there was something going on. For some reason, I wasn't having a show last weekend. I can't remember what it was. But anyways, we're here this week. And unfortunately, we're not going to be here next week because I'm going to Sedona with a bunch of other people. So I'm sure you'll be seeing all the other YouTubers posting all their stuff about Sedona and whatnot coming up this week and Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to catch some of that from me, swing by my Facebook page at BikerB1 or my Instagram at BikerB1 and uh, give me a follow because it's really fun, you know, kind of putting some extra content out there for you guys to interact with. It's a lot easier to interact, I feel like, on that platform than it is on YouTube. Or those of you guys that are listening to a podcast, obviously there's no way to like really comment or anything like that. So if you swing by Instagram or Facebook, give me a follow. And then uh, you can kind of see what's going on for free at that. <laughs> if you'd like to help support the channel, I'd really appreciate you swinging by Patreon. There is a couple of tiers there. You can sign up for a buck a month. That's $12 a year. I probably lose that much money in change a year. So I feel like it's reasonable amount and you can help out the channel. You know, that would be great. There's also a couple other tiers you, you can you can sign up for. You can get some extra content and get a bunch of really cool merch, some um, some fun stuff. So go check that out. Patreon.com slash biker, B1K-E-R. And that is that. So this week, we're going to have episode 102 with TRP Cycling. And I'm going to bring on our guest right now. And we have Jerry, who is uh, better known as Jumpin' Jerry, apparently. How's it going, man? Hey, Robert. How's it going? Cheers. And, good, uh, good. you know, touching upon your intro. Um, yeah, last week was Halloween. So oh, uh, yeah why we both couldn't do that that's what it was thank you yeah. i couldn't remember what it was i'm trying to remember too and i'm like oh. <laughs> um i so, actually yeah. ended up having like a last minute trip to las vegas so it was kind of like really cool that i didn't have anything booked because of the holiday so uh um a family member of mine ended up deciding to go out and get married real quick and so i was like i'm in <laughs> nice so yeah no that was super fun so uh I uh, noticed on your signature, and you had just said it a minute ago when we were chatting, that your nickname is Jumpin' Jerry. Where did the nickname come from? So many, many years ago, um, in the 90s, I basically, a partner of mine uh, who, actually, funny, he's my boss here at huh? in the U.S., um, at one time, he owned a bike shop and uh, for a promotion, I went to work for him and for a promotion, he knew I was a BMX guy and uh, he's like, hey, you know, there's this event that we put on in Idaho and it, uh, you know, it's kind of a big deal. It's called Dairy Days, you know, local thing. He's mm -hmm. like, jump, jump a car. We'll just, you know, build a little hill out in the parking lot and kind of do a promo for the bike shop. Uh huh. And one thing led to another, and the next thing you know, I'm jumping four cars. Oh, you turn into evil and evil. It was in Twin Falls where I actually I've stood on the ramp that goes over the Snake River. Oh wow! At that time, and so it ended up being you know a huge thing for Dairy Days, and one of the guys that worked at the shop actually 
took pictures from on top of the roof. He is a guy who writes articles and whatnot. And he put together a thing and it was basically bought and published by bike magazine in 1997. Right. And from there, basically I was hired to do jumps for specialized at the cactus cup. And I did a, a failed jump in front of a bunch of people in the late nineties at mammoth, uh, when I was there racing the kamikaze, uh-huh. um, just one thing led to another. So that's kind of how people know me as jumping Jerry. Oh, neat. So you have a long background, uh, of biking. So what, what yes. were you, what were you doing? So, you know, originally I started out as a BMX guy, uh-huh. uh, started racing when I was nine or 10 when growing up in Bakersfield. Oh, so from SoCal then, okay. Yeah, and from there, kind of transitioned naturally as mountain bikes came along. I worked, came up, you know, started work very young, you know, 13, 14, sweeping floors at a bike shop, typical uh-huh. for a guy who ends up in the industry, right? And right. loves bikes to, to pay for my bikes besides my paper route. So, right, right. you know, from there, um, basically from there raced for many years and then mountain bikes came along in the late nine or eighties. Yeah. And yeah. In the early nineties transitioned to primarily racing mountain bikes and just oh, wow. built from there. So right um, on, yeah. it's, it's cycling's always been, you know, one of my favorite things to do and uh, anything I can do to help, you know, get other people, you know, into it. That's right on. one of my yeah. things to do. Yeah, similar for me. I mean, I was always into BMX too. And right around the early 90s is whenever I got into mountain biking as well. And um, yeah, here we are now. It's yeah, crazy. Right? I mean, honestly, Robert, it, it starts, I think back and I'm like, that was my freedom. You know, yeah. I jump on my bike. And at that time, things weren't, the world wasn't what it is today. Right. Um, you know, you, you, that was, you hang out with your buddies, go to the dirt lot, build jumps. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, For us, it was like ride all over town and, yeah. oh, and it's one guy's backyard. You can shoot off there through the alleyway. Cause I grew up in Pennsylvania. There's no like fences or anything. So you'd be riding through people's yard to like right. hit some draining drainage ditch in their backyard and, you know, jump over the alley or build some ramp down next to the school or something. You know what I mean? And exactly. Yeah, it was just, I mean, that's, I think that's, the normal thing for most of us who stay in it for a long period of time, you know, I, I would imagine a lot of the, the people you talk to, you know, that are similar to us. It's a very similar story. Yeah. 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 I mean, when mountain bikes first came out, it was really, um, I, I made a joke about it somewhere on my, my other channel for a long time ago. It was like, basically back then it was like a road bike with just a little bit bigger tires. It, you know. The the closest thing I can say modern bike wise would be taking a gravel bike and putting flat bars. Yeah. Except now yeah. the geometries and the brakes and drivetrain are better. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The mountain bikes though, on the other hand, oh my God, it's like it's radically different. I remember the first bike I got, which was fully rigid, put yeah. some of the first suspension forks on it. And as much as we thought they were really something, yeah. uh it's pretty amazing to see what we have now and how much of a difference it makes in the ride. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It really makes me wonder like, would it have been like, what would it have been like to hand a bike to like, I don't know, somebody like 
Chris Ritchie or something like that, you know, back in the day, that's like a new bike now, you know, just to right. like, or Gary Fisher or something to be like, how about it, dude? See what you think now, you know, like it's, what those guys would say. Yeah, you never know. I mean, if you don't go too far back, there was just a recent comparison with, you know, Steve Pete uh -huh. of his, you know, 10, 15 year old bikes. And he wasn't that much slower. But yeah. he said the newer bike, as we all know, at speed and doing things was just way more confidence inspired. Yeah. 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 There's definitely, um, I, I know some of the stuff that I ride. I mean, there's I, in my mind, I think that there's no way I would have been able to ride it on those old bikes, but you know, honestly people rode some hairy shit back in the day and I, I still see guys, you know, out there like on some single speed, hard, rigid bike, you know, just doing crazy shit. So I guess, you know, you give people enough time, they're going to do it no matter what, right? <laughs> There's like like any sport or anything, the uh, pilot or rider input is is a huge part. Right, right, definitely. So, so um, how how'd you end up working with TRP? So, um, quite a few years ago, like I say, the gentleman who's now you know my boss is a good friend, and early on in TRP, he knew I was racing at the time full-time as a pro. Mm -hmm. um, and he wanted to, we had done development projects together um, and worked together when we both worked at Rock Shocks uh -huh. in the late, late nineties. Um, and I, he was in a sales position, basically a sales manager. And I worked in different parts of the company, including product development and um, doing stuff, in repair department and eventually going into test lab um, and testing the products and breaking it. But he knew that I kind of had some background in the product development and writing reports. So he brought me on early in the step from Tectro to Tectro racing products, TRP, mm -hmm. um, in doing, you know, ride testing and reporting of what the products felt like and just making suggestions of what felt good, what could be improved. And just yeah, over yeah. the I've always gotten to ride variations of the product as it's been developed. So uh -huh. that helps, you know, primarily on the gravity and mountain bike side, but a little uh -huh. on BMX side as well. Um, oh, okay. So a little bit of both, but the funny thing is between Tektro and TRP, virtually we produce, you know, every single kind of product you would need, um, braking wise from a, you know, a V brake, road bike brake, cyclocross brake, mountain bike uh -huh. brake, you know, and from high to low. So it's uh -huh. a pretty diverse, uh, amount of stuff that we do. Didn't, didn't you guys bring out a new brake this year or just recently? So about a little more than a year ago, we brought out the DHR Evo, uh -huh. which is our flagship brake um that we developed over the years from an, a number of our other breaks uh -huh. and it pioneered a lot of things that now some of the other companies are catching up to one of them being a thicker rotor structure mm -hmm. and a little wider caliper um, but that break has been the one that honestly has gotten us the most notice yeah. um, honestly it was one of the the products that I, when I rode the prototypes, I was just utterly amazed at uh -huh. how far we had come and how, you know, strong the brake was and just very solid uh -huh. and everything. So 
What, what makes it different? Huge difference in the amount of flow we're getting through the system compared to the previous model we had, mm -hmm. which is called the DHR. Mm -hmm. um, that was the previous version that we had made a different caliper to have more flow. We had basically set up a, you know, a more robust system with that unit. And then through testing, we found by making some other alterations in both the flow of the caliper, as well as changing the hose diameter, making mm -hmm. it a little smaller and being more reinforced, as well as a lighter oil and a actually a smaller piston assembly than its predecessor. Really? we were able to force a lot more flow through the system to give it more power, more modulation and more heat dissipation. Uh, we I don't understand how that, how does that work with it getting smaller? It's, it's, if you want to think about it, think about it. I, the easiest way I can explain it to someone that I always do is think of a garden hose uh -huh. outside. You're playing in the summer, right? Easy into that garden hose down and it makes the water yeah, yeah. faster got that's it. the basic principle of course yeah okay it makes sense you know, but that's probably the easiest way to uh, yeah know, i'm sure there's some science behind it but <laughs> there's, there's some serious science but <laughs> i leave those yeah. to the engineers <laughs> right 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 yeah that's good enough for me man <laughs> yeah i know i know when i ride it it, it feels awesome so yeah now, yeah it, it is a lot and the amount of inquiries and new people wanting to try the brake has been higher than I've ever seen working with the company ever. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be like a brake line that's, or like a brake product that's like in line with like code and saints or something like that. Exactly. So it's, okay. it's a very high level product. So we're talking a world cup type brake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, not that us regular mortals can't use yeah. it as well, of course. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to have something that was on par with our competition and also have some features that actually, I feel, give us some advantages. Uh-huh. So then um, the rotor being thicker, then that's just allowing it to dissipate heat better? Or It does a whole bunch of things. Um, heat dissipation is one of the hugest ones, of course. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I found by using it is the feel of the brake feels so much more solid when you grab a finger to or full, depending mm -hmm. on how you like to do it. Um, the thing I have also noticed too, over using them and, and going and working with some of the athletes and whatnot is that we don't seem to see the types of warping in the brake or distortion because of the heat because it mm -hmm. has more material as well it's quite a bit more resistant to rock strike as well you know yeah that makes sense yeah, yeah. You know, just being more rigid you wouldn't uh -huh. think that a, a half millimeter of material roughly would make that kind of difference but when you think about the percentage of what that is towards what a normal brake is that jump in thickness is quite a bit because what's a, a normal one's like 1 1.8 or something 1 .8, like that? 1.9, depending on yeah. the manufacturer. But now we're seeing, of course, manufacturers offering 2.0 and, and in that range. What, what, and what's yours? Ours is 2.3 to 2 start. 2.3, okay. Yeah. So, and then what? how how far down would that go until you need to replace it? 
the call out for replacement on that usually I would suggest not going below like a 2.0. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, normal 1.8 is going to usually be tossed at 1.5. So it's pretty, pretty yeah. similar in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You, you know, that's my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I would imagine at that point you're going to start noticing your brakes fading more and stuff like that too. So it, it actually, at that point, it, it almost is more because you've dug into the brake track so far that things mm-hmm. are really settling in. So you're building yeah. a ridge up to that point. So they just don't feel as nice. Cause if you want yeah. to think about it, you're always grinding that material down in the brake track, right? Making grooves. And once you get it so grooved out, it's really nice to put something fresh on there. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Feels so much better. Doesn't have the grabbiness to it. Yeah. Just like when you put a fresh rotor and pad on and yeah. it in, it's nice. It's just like, Oh, it's, it's quiet. Yeah. 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 It definitely feels cool. nice when I, grab the lever it, it's not right. green you know all those all those little things that you you know happen over time and it's, it's just due to wear it's uh you know it's an item these items are wear items just like a tire or a chain yeah. or, or anything like that yeah i'm definitely just about due to get new brakes or put some new um, rotors and pads and stuff on i can you know for sure feel that and uh so i i can I'm looking forward to what you're talking about because yeah. I've definitely noticed lately. I'm like, man, we're like, I feel like I'm running Saints. You know, you met me in person. I'm a big yeah. guy. So like, like to me, it's like Saints or nothing, you know, or like at least something like that, you know, along that line as far as like a, a heavy duty break. Right. Because you know? um, at the end of the day, like I got, you know, 100 pounds on some guys that are riding. So they're definitely, I need, people are always like, why are you running? Like, for a long time, I've run 203s front and back. And people are always like, why are you running so much brakes? And it's like, well, you don't weigh like I do, dude. Like, Right. And, and it uh, just, it, it, that, the, that is the thing. It just, it really depends so much on the application, the rider. Yeah. And then now it's not only the rider weight we have to contend with, but now with like e-bikes. Yeah. You've got a whole nother factor of the bike weighing 20 25 pounds more than right uh, right you know so that's that's a huge other thing i mean and to be honest the development of why we went to the thicker rotor actually stemmed from the e-market and finding that rotors were heating up Mm -hmm. extremely hot especially with the loads of not only emtb bikes but also cargo bikes especially in europe um, once you put a heavy rider cargo and then the weight of the bike, mm-hmm. they have three to 400 pounds. Wow. What's a cargo bike? So a cargo bike, typically a lot of, there's a lot of those in Europe where you're going to have a rider. There's all kinds of various types, but a real simple one would be a rider with a bike behind a cargo area down below. Uh-huh. And then usually, you know, in that an area with the front wheels so some are two wheels some are three but basically oh yeah 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 i know we're talking about that yeah basically it's it's a way especially in in urban settings a lot of places in europe cars aren't allowed especially Uh in small town areas and things like that so Uh there's a lot of delivery services that use you know cargo bikes or there's i see them all the time here in boise bikes that'll 
have a rider and then in front of it's kind of a cargo area where you carry the kids yeah yeah or your groceries analog but a lot of these are e-bikes and so there again you've got more weight in the motor transmission you know battery everything yeah yeah so is do you guys have a separate like a line for e-bikes specifically or do you guys just recommend then that that break we do make some brakes that are definitely designed more towards the e-bike market that actually mm-hmm. use a different hose routing. So they're closer to the handlebar. It's what mm-hmm. we call a clean cockpit. And mm-hmm. it's a way to get keep all the cables from getting in the way of everything like that. And so we mm-hmm. make uh, a few different models that are very e-bike specific. Um, and that's mainly due to the bigger levers and the mm-hmm. layout of the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then most of the time, the e-bikers that are using the EMTB brakes are using, basically now we actually have three, four models that use the 2.3 mm-hmm. rotor system. And that's all the way from what's called now the base model, which is the Slate Evo. Mm-hmm. That's where they start, which is a... So that's the, the and that's just a mountain bike line there or exactly so most most all of that's all all mountain for the for the standard brakes that we have Uh which be slate evo on up to the uh, quadium 2.3 se then to the trail evo and then on to the flagship dhr evo gotcha what 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 do the slates run like for the slate evo is something that recently came out it's only been out roughly for a couple months and that one was a take from our standard slate t4 that we've had in the line for years great four piston trail Mm -hmm. brake um and what we did was we paired a new um, caliper with that that uses the 2.3 rotor and put that together and they're 139 dollars per line oh wow that's not bad at all no so that's kind of our entry level or gateway point uh-huh. to get into having something that would work for say an e-bike or mm-hmm. you know someone that wants a little more brake and a little more rotor especially uh-huh. for a bigger rider but not everyone wants to you know they don't ride as much or they don't want to break the bank yeah, yeah. 100%. You guys are just getting into it, but they're like, you know, you get a bigger guy and they're like, I need more brakes, but I don't want to spend $500. Yeah, yeah. If they can get into a nice set of brakes for three to 350 and they make that much difference. Yeah. It's a home run. They're, it's, it just yeah. works really well. I think a lot of people don't know that they have shitty brakes. You know, well, it's it's like anything, right? It's just like when you 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 have an old car and then you get in a new one and you drive it, or more more more. Yeah. So it's when you you've had a bike for years, right? Yeah, you're going out riding with your buddies. He just got this new machine, right? Right. I just got the 2021, blah blah blah. Go, right. Robert, go ride it. Go yeah. Check it out. Oh, okay, man, let me check it out. Yeah. And you ride it, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. It's all tight. Yeah, it shifts really nice. Yeah, yeah, makes yeah. work good. It's that kind of thing. So until you try something, usually you yeah. won't know the difference. Yeah, you've got to yeah. have perspective, right? Yeah, hundred percent. That's what um, I always tell. Once you get that, then you're screwed. Yeah, right. <laughs> then you're like, take my money. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, I always find that yes, it's a hard pill to swallow. But if if it helps you ride and you have more fun, then 
you're getting the most important part of riding period yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I always tell people that you know, like, you don't know you have shitty breaks till you get new ones and, and then you're like, Oh wow, those are really good. You know? So, <laughs> and uh, I don't know to me, like uh, I like would give up different things on the bike over having like to have really good breaks. Like to me, it's just, um, I want to stop when I want to stop and I want to be able to push it as far as I can until I'm stopping. And you know right. what I mean? Like, like, uh, and it really like, it'll blow me away whenever I get a demo bike or a friend's bike or something that has like a much lower level of braking on it. And it just like, you know, you get on the trail and you're like, I can't even ride like this. Like you, you like it, it, it really is shocking how much it changes the way you come into corners, the features or everything, like either just feathering them on some tight technical spot, you know? Yeah. Just the confidence level that you have when things work right. I think, I think for me, I mean, every rider's different, right? Right. Brakes and suspension are my two things. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, part of the reason I was a suspension technician for 15 years, mm -hmm. you know, um, just, I thought that stuff was really cool, but I knew that, those two things, I think, besides having your contact points, you know, pedals, mm -hmm. grips, those yeah. things set up the way that you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, I think hands down to go from something that works to something that does not, you know, mm -hmm. it makes the most difference. You know, yeah. the suspension is what's making you glued to the ground or not. Right, right. And brakes are what's keeping you from dying or not right it's a safety feature man <laughs> <laughs> if if brakes didn't matter we'd also be riding v brakes okay right right yeah and totally and that's freaking un, un like it's just crazy to think about i i i remember back like we were talking earlier you know riding back in the 90s and stuff like v brakes were the that was the only brakes you had and i mean i, I rode in pennsylvania it was wet and muddy and those yeah, things horrible. barely worked you know, like right. It, we were spoiled. It, we were we were out here in the dry dry zone. Right, you know, right. You yeah. You're out in the, you know, the deepness. You know, but if the guys, you know, up in Seattle, yeah, same thing. You know, but I remember in the '90s having downhill bikes. You know, of course with V brakes. Right. Now we would never do that. Right. That's all we had, and at that time we were like, oh, it's the best stuff we have. So let's just rock it. Hope it doesn't rain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you were talking about your rotors. Do you guys have different levels of rotors or do you have just like the one, one particular one or how, how does it work with your rotors? So are we talking just the 2.3 or, or across the board with our Sarah stuff? Cause um, go once I guess let's start with the 2.3 and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. I would say, you know, in the 2.3, we mm -hmm. basically have two ver. I'll say three versions of that. Okay. Um, one, the most popular is going to be our one piece, what we call the R R one series, mm -hmm. and so it's a one piece stainless steel rotor. That's the rotor I tend to run on everything myself because it's mm -hmm. simple, it's strong, does everything it needs to do. Mm -hmm. um, and the one thing about the stuff for now with the um, two point three is we do not do anything below a one hundred and eighty millimeter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so with Tektro and TRP both manufacturers, Tektro is our parent company. Mm -hmm. um, 
all of our stuff is more based size wise for our rotors on the Shimano model. Just so mm -hmm. you know. So we do a, you know, everything's 160, 180, 203 yeah. above, right? Got it. In the 2.3 rotors, we do 180, mm -hmm. we do 203, and then we do 223. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we do that R1 as our most popular. The other version we do is we actually do a two-piece version in 180 and 220, or excuse me, 180 and 203. That is an alloy carrier, six bolt with a, you know, stainless steel rotor track uh -huh. mounted into it. Uh, very similar to that two-piece is also our two-piece center lock. Uh-huh. What's the, uh, what's the advantage of having two pieces there? A lot of the guys like the two-piece, one for the look, uh -huh. a little bit lighter weight is another version of uh -huh. why people like those. Um, some people feel that they stay truer because, you know, there's a variance between having the, the spines that are alloy and then tabbing up to the brake track. You know, you don't transfer that heat down that because there's a separation. Oh, uh, I, I personally just like the one piece rotors. I think they're the simplest. Uh -huh. um, but the cool thing is we like to have different choices for people because some people want a little more bling. Some yeah, yeah. people like that, that look. And then if you have center lock, that's the only way to go because you need the carrier. Uh huh. You know, yeah, so it's yeah. kind of a choice. Uh, the same thing with our, our 1.8 rotors that we mm -hmm. do through the line. Um, we offer them the same type, a one piece a two piece and then a center lock. Uh-huh. You said you said at the beginning that when you guys were developing that brake that you changed the fluid. What what did you guys do there? Yeah, we found that with the added power of the brake and the added heat that we're generating from the friction having more power, mm -hmm. um that we found we needed to change the not only the viscosity but also the heat management of the fluid mm -hmm. so it's actually it's still a mineral oil mm -hmm. it's a lighter viscosity so it moves faster which also helps with that fluid flow mm -hmm. you know back to that nine millimeter piston that we have mm -hmm. or oil um but also it also has a higher boiling point than the old fluid which that's always kind of been a contention amongst people um of, hey, mineral oil only goes so far in the heat. If you can't manage the heat, then you lose power, right? Right. So that's why, like, SRAM uses the fluid that they use, the dots. Exactly. So when we designed this system, we said, hey, let's go ahead and improve our fluid. And the great thing is that our fluid that is newer that we've had, it's almost a year and a half now. We changed mm -hmm. over that. It's across the board in all our breaks now. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually is retrofittable back into the old stuff. Oh, okay. That's that's another thing that we try to do at, at TRP and Tectro as much as we can is uh -huh. try and make things backwards compatible. It it's not always going to work, but I think try, you told me. Go ahead. We try as much as we can to make things cross compatible and backwards yeah. compatible to make them more lifespan and and just easier to deal with. Yeah, I mean, and overall, I mean, who wants to get like forced into having to like buy something new because 
the company decided to bring something else out that's different now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, I mean, that part's nice as well. I feel like that's taking care of your customers. So that's definitely like a commendable thing as well. It's, you know, it's it's something that that's part of the foundation of the company. They just mm -hmm. like to do things in that manner, which I think yeah. is a horrible way to do things. Right. Um, and just that's kind of one of their philosophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's rad. Um, so I think you told me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when we were at Sea Otter when we met, mm -hmm. you say that some of your stuff was actually interchangeable with Shimano. Like, like you were saying, like, oh, if you can't find a brake line or something like that, or was that you that was telling me that? Yeah. I mean, you. I've definitely had dealers, especially in the last year, um, buy hoses and fluid from us, you know, to put in Shimano. Uh, oh. because they couldn't find the parts even even down to our brake pads uh -huh. um, there's a lot of the brake pads that are both in the tectro side and the trp side that uh -huh. are will fit the shimano so for instance all of the four piston brakes that trp makes uh -huh. that is the same size pad um, as what you would find in your z or your saint oh okay so, so there again with the shortages the last 18 months yeah i know that's good information uh, to know you know what it's, i mean it's, yeah it's been very helpful we we wanted so this is another interesting thing about trp they wanted to model our as you know some of the spare parts that we could along the shimano model to basically allow people across the world if they got into our stuff to to have maybe some parts that would be available to them because no, we weren't always as growing as we are now yeah with dealers everywhere uh -huh. and it was never a knock on shimano or anything yeah. it was just more that we were trying to make our stuff more accessible for our end user right by making what at the time was you know your most probably the most likely thing to find in the field right yeah, yeah 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 definitely um i mean there's you know the the religious argument of you know shimano versus sram and you know why and why not but like you guys are definitely coming in in hot you know i definitely hear people talk about your breaks a lot more than i mean just a few years ago i i wouldn't know if you know you know what i mean we, we're we're trying really hard i mean we yeah. have a great team I, I mean both in taiwan here in the u.s in europe it's a it's a full team effort and the other guys man truth be told we all know they make good stuff we yeah we'd like to be a, a, a legit option for people. Yeah. And I think we offer some things that, you know, are a little more accessible for people, yeah, yeah. a little more down to earth. So you had mentioned a few times, maybe we can clear it up for people that, that don't know the difference. What's the difference between Tektro and TRP? Um, basically, if you want to think of it in the simplest terms, mm-hmm. Tektro is Toyota, TRP is Lexus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. it. It basically it's that. Tektro has been around 35 plus years. They are a, a, a family-owned company mm -hmm. in Taiwan. And they have grown. We're actually the second largest brake manufacturer in the bicycle industry, believe it or not. Uh -huh. um, 
And what has happened is, so is that like one of those cases where like they're actually manufacturing like brakes for other companies as well, too, or no, we primarily just do our stuff. And oh, okay. We have so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it would be very it'd be very hard. Yeah. Um, but but more than anything, it was the type of thing where they've always built Tektro has a reputation for building a very solid product. It's mm -hmm. Highly throughout the industry, primarily as an OEM supplier, mm -hmm. you know, and it got to the point where they realized, hey, we're doing a good thing. We have a great reputation, but what can we do to take it to that next level? Mm -hmm. How can we be a more desirable thing past the standard OEM kind of mid-level down? We right. want to get to be the, that mid-level to the top. Right. And so that is where TRP comes in. Tektro is our parent company. TRP is our racing and development end. Mm -hmm. so that's our higher end stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot, it's funny because a lot of people, until I tell them that we are Tektro or that we are Tektro racing products, TRP, mm -hmm. many people don't correlate the two. Yeah. And once I tell them, they're like, oh, crap i didn't realize that was the same thing I'm like, yeah same same thing that's just this is one arm and this is the other arm yeah and, yeah yeah you know? so it's just like your upper, your upper end line yeah oh, that's pretty rad so it's, it's kind of that amount of you know manufacturing power and um experience mm -hmm. um and the factories to be able to attain this and and also the people there that, that mm -hmm. do everything as well you know not only the guys on the manufacturing line but you know the engineers and stuff and then we back it up with our different offices around the world mm -hmm. and you guys have models through like gravel road mountain like all all, all that stuff yeah we're we're expanding in gravel lots in mountain plenty in road try mm -hmm. um but it's it's a constant development you know, mm -hmm. and that's not on, only ongoing with the brakes, but, you know, within the past few years, we've also started to manufacture different, um, you know, derailleur and shifter componentry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. So, yeah. so that's what's a, going on there? One thing that we've, you know, started to, to work upon and, and is a, a growing thing, which is just awesome. So do you guys have a, a couple of different lines of like shifters and derailers or is it just kind of like one product on now? So or? For, for, for right now, the first offering that most of us have been riding for the past almost two years now um, is our TR12, which is mm -hmm. our 12-speed, you know, um, all-mountain enduro uh, shifter and derailleur. And then we also have a seven-speed uh, for downhill Mm -hmm. and for dirt jump and, and that kind of application with a short cage. Um, as things go along in the next few years, you're going to see more from us. I don't yeah. want to be specific with the details. because yeah, My assumption would be that there's going to be something <laughs> electronic. That would be my guess. I mean, it seems like there's the all I can say, Robert, is there there's a lot of stuff coming and I wish I could tell you yeah, yeah. a lot of it and how cool it is, but uh, yeah. I'll just say that it's definitely worth keeping an eye on us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we'll, I believe we'll start releasing some of the new stuff into 2022. 
So probably something that would debut at Sea Otter next year or something like that. That's that's I believe where we're at, but not yeah. being on the marketing end of things. I'm I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, more of the I'm more of your your man in the streets. So yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. I'm not holding you to it. I'm calling the New York Post tomorrow and ask mm -hmm. them to write a story up. You know, Jerry said. Yeah, Jerry said. You're like, I don't believe that guy. Right. right. You don't know Jerry. Right. So. uh no, that, that's 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 rad. That's super yeah, exciting. So what's different with the the shifter and the derailleur? I mean, what what do you got? Is there anything that like is stand out, or you guys just feel like you have a solid product? Or I think we have a solid product, but there's a, a few different things of the current model that definitely I, I noticed right from the first time riding it. Mm -hmm. um, one, the the shift up shift and downshift mechanism, you know, is really solid feeling when you're mm -hmm. shifting it. Has a good clunky chick you know mm -hmm. uh, clunky like, shift to it not yeah, clunky, yeah. but a solid shift to it as yeah far as detent uh -huh. um, which is nice to always have a good feel to it mm -hmm. um the lower paddle is adjustable to kind of get it to where your thumb rests in the right spot between oh, the, that's cool the upshift and downshift yeah um it is a you know a multiple shift upshift which is great and just oh, i was gonna ask that so it's not just a single click yeah, it's it's a multi-shift for the for the upshift. And the nice thing is the swing of it, instead of having more of an around feel to it, it feels more straight on as you push it. So oh, it just it feels like it takes less effort and it's just more straightforward and just yeah, like, yeah. It's always kind of like I ride it and I'm even in a corner or something, I feel it's right where I need it. Yeah. So it's just very comfortable to me. Um, in the derailleur, some pretty, you know, different stuff going on in the effect that it's got a very unique clutch mechanism mm -hmm. in that instead of it just being coming as it swings through to tighten the chain tension, a lot of them, they, they tend to get kind of hard and not want to back off enough, especially between different suspension designs and also when you bottom the, the shocks out fully. Mm -hmm. um, ours is actually a micro ratcheting uh, clutch system, so it it's always you know it it'll get into where it needs to go as far and back out, mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting how it works through its its you know travel so to speak oh, okay. for for the cage system, yeah, um, and keep the chain tight. The other thing is is and this is between that micro ratcheting clutch the other thing i noticed immediately um both testing the the downhill version and the the trail enduro version was we have a a lock called the hall lock mm -hmm. which actually locks the your mount bolt or your what we call the b b bolt mm -hmm. on the derailleur that keeps the main parallelogram and, and main body of the derailleur from from shifting because one mm -hmm. of the the problems with some systems is that you've got the clutch trying to fight the chain and you've got the the derailleur backing off so they're doing this okay going opposite direction yeah, 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 you're yeah. Right. when you lock this down and you allow this to just track up and down it makes it much quieter and much mm -hmm. more sound in the shifting nice nice that's definitely make. If I had all the money in the world, I'd be trying all the products. <laughs> well, 
you know, this is why I work for, for this company. Right, right. I products. So, yeah, yeah. It, it helps my little mountain bike and bicycle addiction quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I hear you there. <laughs> but definitely. I can, I can see how that works out. Well, now that you guys are getting into more parts, then it's like less things that you have to go elsewhere to get, right? Exactly. Well, and the, and the thing is, is this is, you know, something I'm, I'm happy to share with you when we're in Sedona next week as well. Kind of give oh, you more cool. of a first hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This stuff too. Yeah. So anybody that's going to Sedona yeah. Mountain Bike Fest, they're going to be for there. TRP. I'll yeah. be there. I'm an easy guy to find. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> definitely swing by the TRP tent and say hi to Jerry if you're Yeah, absolutely. You were telling me before the show, um, actually, before we get into that, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, bleeding them, the, the breaks that you guys have. How, yeah. How's that process? Because I know for me, um, one of the things that I enjoy about Shimano is that they use the mineral oil mm -hmm. instead of um, the dot fluid. Just, it, you know, you have to be a lot, you don't have to be as careful with the mineral oil. So it's nice to hear that you guys use mineral oil as well. Yes. Yes. I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm definitely on that same page. Um, so did so you... the, the bleed process besides, as you mentioned, mineral oil, very easy mm -hmm. to deal with. Um, the bleed process actually is very, very similar to a Shimano. Uh -huh. um, most of the time, it, when you put the brakes together, we have a kind of a fast connect system uh -huh. that we use. And 99% of the time when we put brakes together, we don't even have to bleed them. It's pretty amazing oh, how wow. easy they are. And that's a comment I get all the time from shops and from riders. Yeah. They're like... It's, I got the brakes, I put them on, I cut them. It was so easy. Didn't even have to bleed them. Or yeah. at worst, you know, if you do put something together or you have a little bit of air in the system, many, many times at races when I'm doing service support mm -hmm. or um, in shops or trying to help someone, a lot of times you can get away with just doing a light lever type bleed where you're just doing, you know, a hose or the little bleed cup. Mm-hmm that we have, which is, you know, standard bleed cup, like you see in a park tool kit or yeah, in, yeah. in a Shimano. Um, we have our own, it's blue, uh, TRP blue. And, you know, you use that, flick the lever, do the normal things that you would do in a bleed. And that will take care of it most of the time. If you need to do a full bleed, like if you say change the brake hose, or you just need to flush the system, it is very similar to the Shimano where you're going to, of course, take the caliper off, put it down. So you have the highest point up mm -hmm. on it, put the, you know, syringe in and bleed it up to the bleed cup up on the lever. So it's yeah, a yeah. very simple. Like I say, it's very, very similar to the Shimano. And the nice thing I find in the comment there, again, I get from lots and lots of shops and, and people who do try our stuff. And it's not only for, for tech, uh, TRP, but also for the Tektro stuff, believe it or not, is that the system is, is a fairly open system. So it, it's not like you're fighting it or pushing and pulling, mm -hmm. and, you know, doing all these, these crazy thing. It's just, it's straightforward. Yeah. You do it, it works and you bolt it back together and it's solid, you know? Yeah. That's another really? point we get across the board is people put our stuff on and they're amazed how well it works, you know, yeah. and, and the lack of, of finickiness in most cases mm -hmm. to, 
you know, things of the world of temperature and, and things yeah. like that. Um, because, you know, sometimes, man, I hear horror stories from certain people about certain stuff of like, God, I got to bleed this thing once a week. It's, you know, or the pads are always rubbing or, I mean, yeah. anything can have problems, right? Right, They're right. Items. But we tend across the board to just have a very solid response of, man, your shit works great. Yeah, and yeah. I ran Saint or I ran um, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I ran Ram for a while, and uh, they just would always like. It seemed like they were always like they would heat up super fast, and then I think it would like glaze the pads, mm-hmm. and then you'd get like this like like chipmunk or turkey kind of break sound all the time like like when i hear somebody on the trail i'm like oh that's that's sram i can hear it you know it's just this like <clears throat> annoying noise and uh that was the main reason that i got rid of them it wasn't the the breaking power itself it was actually just like i mean kind of what you're saying it's just like yeah. other problems with the brakes that you're like okay I, I just can't handle this you know and um so uh, i wanted to ask again about the the bleed though before it uh, sort of shifting on it was um, you said you have this different mineral and it has a higher boiling point. Does mm-hmm. do you guys notice that it lasts longer before it needs to be bled, or I kind of the same interval? I really haven't done any research to see about the yeah. longevity of it. I'm sure yeah. if I ask our main office that does the yeah. testing, yeah, yeah, they'd be able to tell me. But to be honest, I don't know. I'll yeah. just be very honest. Yeah, yeah. Do you um do you, what what do you like recommend to people like when they ask how often they should do it? It like anything, just like yeah. your chain or yeah. or anything. It depends on how much you ride and in what kind of conditions. Yeah. You know, a real good gauge to know how much you should be bleeding your brakes is on on each end, I always say is judging it by how many sets of brake pads and rotors you're burning through. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say at a minimum, I like to, I like to refresh my brake fluid at least once a year. Yeah. You know, but if you ride a lot and you ride in really crappy conditions, you may need to do it more. A yeah. very simple way to know is to start to do a, you know, if you want to do the quickest way is just to, you know, actually open up the top. Mm-hmm. and look into the bleed screw and see what the color the oil is yeah another way to do a quick way is to start to do a basic bleed with some fluid and just push some fluid up into the cup yeah the color of your oil yeah i mean that is the only honest way to know we don't have filters we don't yeah. have meters we don't have any other way other than visually we don't even have a port like we would on a moto Right. Where you have, you know, the window yeah. where you can see, yeah, you just see it. it. Yeah. So the only honest way to do it is to actually do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. And you know, do it. And I, the funny thing is, more often than not, Robert, people uh-huh. are very surprised at how dirty their oil is, even after uh, a season or six. You months. just took the words out of my mouth. Oh Every man, I bleed my rig. Yeah, and the, and then they'll be like, it's not only the it looked like it looked like shit, Jerry. Right. It smelled like fuck. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. This every is time my, I this I'm like, you know what? It, it's been a while. I should bleed bleed my brakes. And <laughs> I hooked that cup up, man. And it's just coming out like black tar. And I'm like, oh wow. Mm-hmm. No wonder I was feeling like they weren't working right. <laughs> 
and you can imagine what the what could be in that because you've got dirt who knows what else mm-hmm. you know and it's not only not doing good things for the power of the brake but it could potentially be breaking down you know o-rings quad rings you know other pieces of the system yeah yeah and that's not helping your cause either yeah no not at all um but yeah, that's definitely a good point. <laughs> These make me feel like I should leave my brakes out, before right? I go to Sedona. <laughs> <laughs> definitely thinking that's probably going to happen. Going to need. Yeah, well, it's brakes. it's just like you know, you don't think about it with your chain until it's just like making noise or it's shifting bad cable yeah, yeah. housings. Those are another just inexpensive, forgotten thing. People are like, my, my shifting sucks, and I'll you know they'll bring it to me at a race, and they'll be like, yeah, oh, you know, I put this TR12 on, it's not shifting very well. Be like, yeah, yeah, you know, let me let me take a look at it, throw it in the stand, and I'll pull the cable. I'll be like, man, this thing shifts horrible. And I'll be like, let's loosen the cable. I'll loosen the cable and cycle the derailleur. I'm like, oh, the derailleur feels great. And I'll like try and pull on the cable and the housing. I'm like, it's not moving. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, I I actually like two weeks, you know, it hasn't been working for a while. I'm like, "Hmm, yeah. That's the problem. Let me, let me replace that derailleur and cable for you. We'll, uh, and they're like, oh, my God, it's like a new derailleur. I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but it's those maintenance things, just like in a vehicle. It's just these are the things we as humans forget, you uh-huh. know, because we're, we're all the same in the effect of the last thing we all want to do in most cases is actually work on our bikes. Yeah. We want to ride them. Right, right. And especially with the the living of today and friends and kids and work and, you know, all right. these variables, it, a lot of us, you know, don't have as much little cutouts of time to, to ride as we would like. Yeah, yeah. To ride as many bikes as we want, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I definitely... Um can relate with that not wanting to work on my bike thing i always i'm always like six or seven rides just dealing with something until i'm like finally like break down to actually fix it but because it's just like you hear it you know whatever it is a creek or whatever and you're like oh man i need to just even when it's something simple like i was joking with my friend the other day i was like man i've been riding with the nose of my seat down too far for right. at least a month you but know you- and it's like Every time I get on the bike, I'm like, oh, I'll change it then when I get home. I don't feel right. like no, you, you, right. you get on the bike wherever you're at, whether you start from home or you go somewhere. Right. And you don't realize it until you're 500 feet from the yeah. where you left. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was going to do that before I came. Right. But I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Always that way. And you're yeah, like, yeah. ah, screw it. I'll just ride. Yeah. You know, unless it's just the bars are turning or the pedals right. are off, you're like, oh, I'll just listen to the brake pads rub or all this yeah. chain squeak or right. you know, headsets a little loose. Hopefully I won't ruin the bearings. You know? right. <laughs> it's always something because you're just, you know, that's that's a rider, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's my yeah, ride. That's my ride. <laughs> Definitely me. Man, I've had this squeak on my, I have a tall boy. And I do not know where the hell it is coming from. And it is just baffling the shit out of me. I I am. I was joking with my buddy yesterday when I was riding. I was like, I'm going to sell this bike. And he's like, really, dude, you just got it. And I was like, yeah, because it's like the only way I can get rid of this squeak right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. It's like, you know, why why'd you sell your new car? Yeah, it ran out of gas. Right. <laughs> Whatever. You know, sometimes those squeaks, though, it's like, all right, first thing you do, take the seat off, right? You know. 
lube up everything and do with the seat post and the, the seat, seat. seat post bottom bracket right i, I did the bottom bracket too into, I'm like, into, into the cable and housing interface where it goes in the frame yeah man and it whether it's nowadays whether it's you know shielded internal routing or non or yeah there's so many more variables now yeah than there was when we have external routing and 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 easier ways yeah. of doing things that weren't so clean and neat. And the thing that always gets you too is like sometimes like you'll swear up and down it's coming from the bottom bracket. For mm -hmm. example, like my last bike, I had this, the, the, a squeak I was chasing for a while and I like replaced the bottom bracket and everything. And then, I don't know, it ended up being like something silly like the headset or something. Right. You know, but you're like, why does it sound like for sure it's coming from my pedals? You know, right. and, or, or another common one that we've chased around for twenty plus years, ever since suspension forks came along, is head not only headsets but the steerer tubes in the crowns mm -hmm. working loose or not having enough Loctite when they press the steer tube into the oh. crown. Oh uh, wow! That interface, just a little bit of tolerance not uh -huh. being right, causes just headaches. We went. Yeah. Yeah. Just I've drive you completely freaking friends. bonkers. <laughs> yeah, just drive you crazy. And it's a short drive. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have a pretty high tolerance for ignoring stuff. So it I know when it's bothering me, it's definitely it's over the top. My buddy yesterday was like, You're he's like, That bike is noisy, man. I can hear it over here. I'm like, Yep. He's like, That must <laughs> yeah. drive you crazy. I was like, I just turned my head off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good stuff. So you said um you guys are going to Sedona. It's going to be your first time. Excited? Yeah, super excited. Never gotten to go to Sedona. This this year has been amazing, you know, yeah. traveling with TRP, yeah. um, doing the job. I've gotten to go to places I've never been and some I've been to tons like Sea Otter, but um, National Championships was rad. Got to race and yeah. help a, lot, a bunch of people there. Uh, North American Enduro Cup was way cool. Um, got to go yeah. to Rampage for the first time this year. Yeah, buddy asked me if I wanted to go, and I had crazy cool. Yeah, yeah, I heard it's super crazy fun. cool. And then, yeah, Sedona, never been to it, but I've heard just nothing but good things, including from you. And I think so. You've never been to Sedona at all, or just not the no. festival? No, both. Oh, yeah, so no, it's, it's like a bonus. Yeah, living the dream. Yeah, it's gonna. Be, do you have any trails in particular that you're looking forward to riding, or are you just gonna be there all work, no play? Or oh no, it's like. Whatever I can fit in and yeah. not in trouble, you know, it's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a job to do, but definitely yeah. want to do some of that job on the trails and let some people try some of our stuff. Yeah, definitely. So that's a huge part. Um, are you guys, like, working with another, like, one of the bikes that are demo in there and, like, having your brakes on that? or? I know we do have some companies that have bikes, or, excuse me, have uh, brakes that uh -huh. are on their bikes. So um, definitely be supporting them. I don't have a list in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, no words. And then, you know, I'll be there, of course. Yeah. And if someone needs try something, I have my stuff as well. So cool. Cool. Um, but I think the big thing is just kind of taking it all in and and making, you know, the, the thing I like the most about part of my job of going to events is mm -hmm. just like meeting you at Sea Otter. I'm meeting yeah. friends and that's more people to ride with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here with and whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the community of, of cycling is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, it's super rad. I mean, it's definitely um, 
I mean, obviously we're both biased. <laughs> so, I'm biased. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I always like when I have friends that aren't into writing, I'm like, dude, you don't know what you're missing, man. Like, this is like, it's really fun, you know, and it's more, it has a lot to do with the people, you know, it's, and I, it, yeah, it's, it is the writing, but it's honestly the, the, the people that yeah. make it. And so it's this killer little circle of life, you know, that we have. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, a, you know, there's a lot of new people now, you know, because of COVID too. So yes. it's interesting to see um, kind of that surge of, of, of new writers and stuff like that. And um, for me, you know, I've been writing for so long that it, it's just, it's hard for me to imagine like not, not being a writer, you know, and being like 40 years old and being like, you know what, I'm going to try riding mountain bikes, you know, like. But the, that's the great thing is it's accessible, just like, yeah. you know, getting into snowboarding or something. It's, yeah. it's you can do it at yeah. any age, really, you know? Yeah. And I, it's, to me, it's like being a little kid all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm building a new, I built a new bike before Sea at Otter. I'm building a new bike right now. I'm like, every time I, I'm like waiting yeah. for parts. I'm like a little kid at Christmas, you know? Yeah. Where do you yeah, get that kind of excitement? I mean, I'm 55 going on 13 at best. <laughs> you know? Come on. It's just the That's super realist. <laughs> so, uh, um, what was I going to say? Anyways, I, I've been keeping an eye on the comments while we're chatting, and and a, a handful of people have mentioned your your Schwinn homegrown banner in the background. Oh, yeah. That was from my days of writing for Schwinn. Um, I've still got my 15-inch. Schwinn slalom bike sitting here. I've got a an old uh, Schwinn. What is it? Oh, it's an old homegrown um, full suspension URT from '95. So I rode for. So you Schwinn. were telling me right before we went live that you knew Jeff Lenowski and you had that. That was one of the biker bars that you had listened to before. Yeah. So, so did I you know him for sure? What's that? So did you know him from Schwinn? Is that how you guys yeah. knew each other? Yeah. So actually, like I was telling you, I knew Jeff from Schwinn. We rode for them at the same time in the in the 90s. You know, obviously, Jeff's quite a bit, you know, better known writer than I am. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just good people. And it was just a great company to ride for, you know, because uh -huh. they were really pushing the limits of poking at people at that time because mm -hmm. Schwinn was still their kind of their own thing even though yeah. it wasn't by the family anymore at that point. But uh, yeah, it was, would, it was would, would you say there's a bike company out there like that now? There's always your upstarts. Yeah. Right. You know, that have good soul, you yeah. know? Um, so there's, that's, you know, something that's cool about the industry is there's always yeah. little, little things popping up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Lucky enough to, to get help by quite a few companies that were small and some that are big. Um, yeah. Even today, I mean, one of my current people that helped me is a fairly good sized company, and one that helps me is a, a company that's here in Boise. So. Yeah, yeah. So, does uh, TRP you just work out of home, or do they have an office up there in Boise or something? So, I have a home office that I, I work from. Being that oh, cool. uh, at the current time, I am their um, sole outside sales, technical, and, and event support person. Part awesome. of a team of people that yeah that we've built here in the states and it's something that we're um, looking at expanding so we can reach more dealers yeah, uh, yeah 
But so I base out of Boise mm -hmm. and I drive uh, one of their sprinter vans uh -huh. and I travel across the Western United States to visit uh -huh. dealers. But, you know, part of my time is working from home, emails, yeah. phone calls. Yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. Best, the best part of my job is going, you know, out into the field and going to the shops, seeing what's yeah. going on. Kind of a big part of how we've grown things is is being out in the field and, and just doing things person to person, mm -hmm. the old fashioned way. It's yeah. weird when you go into a shop and I hand them my bike or I hand them a component and they're like, what? Yeah. You're here? You know, yeah. Let's try some stuff, you know? I'm like, man, yeah. that's, like, that's old school, man. I'm like, that's yeah. how we're, you know, that just seems to be a unique way that we're doing it that other people aren't quite that's doing good, in the same manner. I feel like that, um, I don't know. I feel like that's a level of customer service that makes you stand out, you know? It does. It does. Yeah. And it's more fun. Yeah. You know, how, how cool is it when you get to actually touch the stuff and check it out? And especially the last couple of years, it's been very interesting with the growth in interest for our products mm -hmm. to go into places and people actually be like, dude, I've been wanting to see that. I've never got to yeah. touch one of those brakes or those drive trains or whatever. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. Sweet. You know, um, that it, it seems to be making all the difference for us, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, everybody's not as fortunate. I mean, I'm fortunate that where I live, I'm close to where Seattle is. So it's like easy to go to that. You know, there's lots right. of people that work in lots of shops and whatnot that aren't, they don't have access to something like that, you know? And, uh, or, you know, it just doesn't make any sense for them to spend that much money to go drive up to Sea Otter to see stuff, you know, and or to yeah. fly or whatever, you know. I, I feel it's important that, that we reach out to people in that way. It It's just a connection that you make that you can't make by calling someone, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. in this, it's it's been a challenge, you know, the past 18 months or so with us. We've had to be very careful and, and very respectful of people and mm -hmm. whatever's going on in each individual community. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, the response we get is just, just like at Sea Otter, people are just like stoked to see us, you know, or yeah. any event we go to, they're like, dude, we want the, you know, we hear so yeah. much, what's up? So yeah. it, at, at sometimes I do feel like the shell answer man, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. people have a lot of questions, but that's okay. That's a great, enjoyable part of my job have you guys been having like a lot of supply chain issues or anything like that i mean everybody has but i you know we we've been very lucky to do better than most i feel uh -huh. um, one of the the issues of course has been raw materials yeah uh, um things of that nature but um i think a big thing that we have had in our favor is that we are our own manufacturer. Okay. We're not having to rely on other people's factories and time right. and dealing with other people being in our order. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel bad for some manufacturers of bicycles for even, you know, uh, for argument's sake where they're like, yeah, it's brand X and brand X and brand X, but they're all made at this factory. And the one yeah. that, has the most orders right they're getting done first they get priority right. 
Um, right. So we've managed to do very well. We've worked very hard to get that stuff and, and the team in Taiwan, as well as, as the other offices have, you know, really struggled in some ways to make sure that things were getting done. But overall, I think we've done a great job and uh, people are pretty stoked. Yeah. 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 I mean, everything like, I'm not trying to like point any particular fingers. Like you guys don't have the, you know what I mean? Like everybody's struggling. Everybody right doesn't. So, have yeah. It's, like, it, it's just, uh, I, I think that was like what, I mean, one of the main reasons I mentioned that, your stuff was interchangeable earlier is just because like everybody's having so much trouble. Like um, I think when we had the conversation at Sea Otter, I would, I, I actually need another brake line. I didn't know that I could use your stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's really good to know. Right. Yeah. We've, know. we've been lucky, especially this year, the factories have for us have done an extremely great job making sure that we're getting shipments usually every month of mm -hmm. different products to to mm -hmm. refill what we need and them working hard as well as our guys in the office doing customer service as well as the guy who does all our ordering for us mm -hmm. making sure that he's working with our our people overseas to get the stuff mm -hmm. um just everyone's done a tremendous job i mean high yeah. to low in the company and it's it's cool because it's kind of <laughs> as you may or may not have noticed when you were at sea otter that was quite a i mean we're not a huge group here in the u.s mm -hmm. uh, but we're quite a, a unique and motley crew yeah that kind of all gels together and and we all we all have our unique thing that is what we do for the company and our personalities and and they are very good about allowing us to be ourselves yeah. you know, uh, in our jobs, which translates to making people feel a lot more comfortable than us being, you know, very corporate per se. I mean, obviously yeah. I'm very, yeah. um, yeah, those of you guys that are listening, he, he has, he has very long hair. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely doesn't look like a corporate guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah. Got a, got a suit, you know, <laughs> all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 For sure. I saw you were drinking the the Lagunitas little something. That's a good one. I, yeah, I, I saw you have the Lagunitas bottle in the background. So, yeah, I probably have one. I don't, oh yes, I, what's that hop stupid behind me? There? Yeah, it's a hop stupid. Yeah, yeah, they make some good beers, man. <laughs> really, you guys good. got some good ones up there in uh, in Boise too, huh? We do, we do. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're a little behind the times on things, but that's actually good. Yeah, you know, how's the writing scene up there? The riding scene in Boise is amazing. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say we have some of the gnarliest terrain I've ever seen, but the community is fantastic. Yeah. The amount of different kind of riding you can do is amazing. Yeah. Um, and just, it's a good group of people, man. Yeah. Just really good. I went up and rode um, Sun Valley, I think it was last year up in that area and it was super fun it was really yeah. really fun trails up there definitely um i remember the dirt was really interesting to me because it didn't look like it would be as supportive as it was right like i, I was really kind of shocked you know like it, it and uh yeah i just had a really good time riding up there so i, I haven't nice ridden in the boise area though boise area is good we're a little more deserty yeah and up in sun valley but mm -hmm. i mean and 
hour from here, it, it totally changes into the trees and, you know, yeah. there's tree line above us. Um, but it's killer. I mean, we have two different bike parks here, BMX mm -hmm. tracks, tons of road riding. Yeah. Foothills. I mean, it's yeah. very, very diverse. But weather's kind of mild too. I mean, you guys will get a little snow, but not, not like a ton. A little right? snow, but it's not like we're living in Wyoming or some crazy. Yeah. Place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the winters are not that bad here. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe a little three Oh tire yeah. sometimes during the year, but you know, other yeah. than that, so you guys can still ride all year then pretty much all year. You know, the, yeah. the only time that when it snows and freezes, we're usually pretty good. It's typically the, the early spring when the trails in the lower foothills are just too wet and, and uh, too much mud. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but we have a very unique thing here where some areas are very mud and dirt. Some are more gravel and sandstone. So mm -hmm. those trails tend to be more rideable in the winter because they drain better. Yeah. Um, or you typically when there's snow on the ground or ice, then you go out and ride before it thaws. Yeah. 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 So you said you were building a new, new bike. What are you building? Um, I can't say at the moment. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, that's fun. I guess you said you're bringing it to Sedona, so I guess it's we'll cool. see. It <laughs> yeah, right on, dude. That's cool. That's super cool. What um, what what uh, what products do you do you or are you most excited about from TRP? Um, a a lot of the the stuff for next year that yeah. I can't talk about that I've no, seen and played with, which is really cool. I mean, I think we're, we're going to open some people's eyes high and mm -hmm. low with mm -hmm. the stuff we have coming just to there again, back to our original start where, you know, we're doing some stuff that we hope will actually make people realize that we are a legitimate other choice. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah, only definitely. for the way it works, but another huge part is like we talked about earlier, just our customer service end. Mm -hmm. um, one of the unique things is the guys who are answering the phones in our office, which is in Ogden, Utah, which mm -hmm. there again has some great writing mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, the guys who work in the office ride. Yeah. And are passionate about this stuff. That's something that's that's huge in the, the culture of the people that um, my boss hires. Is, yeah. is we want people who use our stuff to work. Yeah. For it's yeah. the only way that we can know whether it, it works or not. And you know, I definitely use that as an excuse to ride when I can myself. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. And race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're still racing? Yeah. I still love to race. I'm, you know, not as fast as I once was being 55, but yeah. you know, racing is that's where you get the real test. Uh-huh. You know, man and machine, and just it's fun. And it I think it really adds a level of confidence with a lot of the, especially the riders and people that use our product to know that, hey, that guy that's working on your bike or helping you get this product, he actually rides it. Yeah. yeah uses it competition wise yeah yeah you know so and it's it's fun yeah you know yeah yeah definitely it, it's uh did you race when you were at sea otter yeah yeah right yeah. On. how'd you do uh not bad dual yeah. song third yeah yeah Got on the podium right on dude good good times yeah yeah, yeah for sure
yeah, is is great, you know. Um, camaraderie of the people you race with is awesome, but yeah, it's I think it's that thing where when people know that someone is using the stuff and works for the company, that kind mm -hmm. of ties the whole thing together, mm -hmm. you know, and they know you're having fun. And yeah, and that's kind of the bottom line of why we all do this is mm -hmm. our outlet. Yeah. What kind of warranty is on like comes with the brakes? Like I've never had to warranty anything like that, but I would imagine that, you know, sometimes things come up or something like that. No, Sometimes things do come up, of course. So uh, a big thing with us is making sure that we take care of people when they have issues. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of times I don't think I've had to do very many warranties over the years I've worked mm -hmm. with these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, generally we try to make sure the customer is taken care of. And we also want to make sure we're educating them on what may or may not happened with the product. Because mm -hmm. sometimes it's just a setup thing. Sometimes it's a legitimate, Hey, we messed up with this, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the bigger thing is if something doesn't work right for someone and it was our fault we just go ahead and take care of it mm -hmm. that's a huge thing you know yeah. reason um it's always on a case-by-case -case basis because you just never know i've had you know people come to me and something's been you know so old and so beat up that i'm like how can i warranty something that isn't yeah. a warranty issue yeah, that yeah you sense. used it for 10 years, dude. It's old, yeah. or, <laughs> you know, or someone, you know, they'll be like, Hey, my brake doesn't work, and they'll be like, We don't have any brake pads left yeah. onto the, to the metal. I'm like, That's not a warranty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but we, we tend to be very, very good about it, but within reason. Mm -hmm. So, you said you guys make your own pads as well. Yes. Um, what goes into that? I know there's like, you know, different companies are spouting over, you know, what their compound is and it's better or worse or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, there, there's always lots to go on. So over the years, you know, we originally only had a couple of pad compounds for our brakes. And mm -hmm. when we started to develop the DHR Evo stuff, we actually found that we could make a really good resin, high performance resin brake pad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know um, in a lot of cases that you think, oh, it's a resin brake pad, that's low end. Mm -hmm. But they were able to make stuff that would allow us to get an easier bed in process for the brake, have mm -hmm. quite a bit more bite with less finger pressure at the lever mm -hmm. and the pad has a fairly good wear life as well. I mean, not mm -hmm. as good as our centered semi-metallic and mm -hmm. not as good as our metallic because there's always a trade-off with brake pads, no matter who's mm -hmm. the manufacturer and what they're doing between bite and longevity, mm -hmm. you know, um, because sure. to get more bite, the pad has to be softer. Mm -hmm. So it transfers more material. When people say organic, are they, they're talking about resin then, right? Yeah. In most cases. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So I, uh, I tend, go ahead. No, you, you, oh, I, I tend to use resin just because I, I like that. They're not, they don't typically get as loud. 
So like I'm willing to give up a little bit of the bite, so to speak. But so this is this is the unique thing. And that's always been the contention of resin pads is most people feel that they're giving up bite Our resin, the blue pad, which comes stock now in all the four piston brakes. Mm -hmm. um, it actually has more bite than our red, which is our semi-metallic oh, or okay. our gold, which is our full metallic. Uh -huh. And it has to do more so that I feel personally that the pad is not as hard. So it likes to mate to the rotor and leave material much, much easier. Oh, than a harder pad that does not. Harder pad wants to do this. It wants to skitter more across the rotor. Mm -hmm. um, once you, of course, any pad, once you get embedded in, then they have mating properties. Right. And, and right. that goes a long way the it's a weird thing we we started doing the resin pad about two years ago with the mm -hmm. dhr and from there i that's what i run in all my bikes yeah the only yeah. time i don't run a, a one of our resin pad is maybe deep in winter and i know i'm gonna ride in a ton of just wet stuff that's just gonna eat the pad up and i'm mm -hmm. gonna be out in the field for two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, then I would opt for something that has maybe a little more wear life if I don't yeah. have a chance to change them. But it's really hard because I am I guarantee you, once you ride that pad and how well it beds in and how well it works, you'll mm -hmm. just go, what the heck? Yeah, I really like the fact that you said that the pads are colored different. Like they all blue. use a different backing color to the pad just to identify. Yeah, no, I like that. They are. It's very simple. Yeah, it's super simple because it's like right. always like some people are like, I don't know, even with me until, you know, I bought enough of them that I finally was able to remember, which is a lot. Um, it's <laughs> like, okay, what what one do I use? And I have to find the old package or mm -hmm. look on, hope, hopefully it's stamped on the pad somewhere, you know, right, like, right. otherwise I'm like, crap, man, I really like those pads. I don't remember which one I bought, you know, we're, we're on the kiss system. The yeah. It's simple, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so another, you know, the pads are done that way, um, as well. Um, a little while back, I think it was a year or so ago, um, with our adapters, we used to have a forged adapter for TRP. We went mm -hmm. to a machined adapter about a year or so ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it allowed us to have much better tolerances in mm -hmm. the adapters. So they're more square and plumb and they yeah. look nicer and the finish is nicer. Yeah. Um, but as well, we moved to a system that made it much easier for people to use our adapters with said fork or rear end combination in the effect. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of companies that you look at the adapter and they're like, Oh, this is for 203 front or yeah. this is 180 rear. And you're like, what's that really mean? Yeah. So we boiled it down to this. If you have a 160 post mount and you need to put a 180, it's a plus 20 yeah right you need to go 20 right. millimeter more right millimeter bigger space from yeah no that's awesome this native um so all of our call outs for our post mounts are all that way to make it simple pm20 pm23 pm40 all the way up to a pm43 uh -huh. 
we actually make a post mount 43 so you can go from 180 to 223 oh wow which that's, that's what i'm going to do on the new bike i think i'm going to do 223 front 203 rear really it's a long travel enduro yeah machine is do they weigh much more the 223s they weigh a little more but i mean yeah, you'd never notice yeah you know and then it, it's the same brake it's like the brake's not any different so no, it's just no you just have a lot more material that's out there i think i always let you know people ask me well how much more does that weigh and i'm like you know what if if it matters that much that you need to count grams, you probably don't need these brakes. Right, right. <laughs> like you, you're a bigger guy. I'm a smaller yeah. guy, but I just want the most I can have. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's usable, though. Yeah. That's the other thing is a lot of people will be like, I want the most powerful brake. Well, that's like saying I want the biggest engine in my vehicle, but I don't put the transmission to get the power to the ground. Yeah. Okay, that's useless. So a big part of something that we've always had as a hallmark the whole time I've worked with these guys, especially as we've developed through the four piston brakes, is we have a fantastic mix of power, but feel at the lever. So yeah. you can really get that that point of before lockup or where it, you instead of it feeling so, say, digital. Mm -hmm. it has more of that feel like you were reaching down to the rotor and actually putting your hand on it right to right. get that feel so that so you feel like you have a softer it's a softer pool on the trp yeah Not so on and off is what you're saying yeah less on and off it's when you like get everybody in, knows shimano's on and off like that's Shimano's very on and off yeah, yeah. i don't like to yeah. Pinpoint a brand. No, no, I understand. But I mean, I, you're, um, you're in the industry. You don't have to say the name. I can. <laughs> yeah. The, it, but it, it's true. You ask anyone. And yeah. I talk to people all the time. They're like, tell me what's different. Yeah. What am I going to feel different in your break if I go to it? Yeah. That's a big hallmark that I tell people. This is going to have a much better feel at your finger or fingers, depending on how you like to break to get the power pinpointed to where you need it. So you're not locking it up. So mm -hmm. you're not doing the classic, oh shit break. Mm -hmm. And that level of confidence really allows you to have more playfulness or mm -hmm. more instantaneous grab at the last minute or do stoppies or do a directional change with the break. Confidence, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so would you say you're like, I mean, SRAM's like most people say they like SRAM because of the modulation. You say you're kind of in the middle there somewhere. Or? Yeah, that's the easiest way I put it to people is we're we kind of combine mm -hmm. the best of all these things into one thing. There you go. That's yeah, yeah. the easiest way to explain it. Yeah. You no, know, and that's the feedback I get from people who try them. They're like, mm -hmm. you're right. You know, it's once I, you know, I tried it, I was like, wow, I could actually figure out where I needed to break and time it properly, which you brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. Knowing where you can break, especially on a trail you've known for a while. Right. Go ride right. that. Familiar, you know, when we test stuff, you go a lot of times on a familiar trail. There's yeah, problems, and you know how to gauge what's going on. Yeah. That's where people really start to pull this all together. Yeah. Is they ride that familiar trail and they're like, dude, all of a sudden I just, I wasn't thinking about it. 
Mm -hmm. I was making stuff happen and it was just like natural. Yeah. That's when you know stuff's working properly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I think that's like key there. I mean, when you're testing something out or you just bought something as a consumer, you know, go to your trail that you ride all the time. No. Because you're going to know right away, like, is that better or not? You know, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you have to, anytime you're testing something, you've got to have a benchmark. If yeah. you don't have a benchmark laid out, you have no way of knowing if your information is proper. Yeah. Very simply put. Yeah. People always, you know, like, you know, you go to these events and stuff like that, like Sedona, for example. I mean, to me, it's like, I could go ride almost any bike there and I'm going to be like, this bike's great. <laughs> but like, I don't know. <laughs> how that is actually like until I was able to like ride that bike on my home trail that I'm like trying to freaking go as fast as I can on every, every week, you know, and until yeah. I get that, that bike there, I'm not really, I'm not going to be able to like give a proper, like a, a like a description of what's going on. You know what no. I mean? No. Well, it's totally true. You, one, you can't trust it. Yeah. Another perfect example is I built a brand new bike to race the otter and literally every run I was going faster because I was figuring the bike out and trusting yeah. it more. So you've got to have that familiar place and that benchmark to know whether things are better or not. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. common thing in testing that we run into is sometimes we would put people on stuff and they would be like, you know, this is more for suspension, but we'd put someone on a shock and they'd be like, Oh, it, it, it doesn't feel good. And I twist a couple knobs and go back out and be like, okay, how's that? Yeah. It still doesn't feel good. I twist the knobs back to where he started. And yeah. go, go ride that dude feels better. <laughs> it's, there's, there's a lot of subjectiveness. Humans yeah, yeah. can be very subjective and data can be very all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. But having the baseline and, and being familiar with stuff, you know, gives you more honest data. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you do you say you're going to have some stuff at, at Sedona that people will be able to demo or somehow or? Yeah, I'll have my bikes there. Okay. So. So. Um, and then like, I've got, like your... I'll, I'll also figure out who has our brakes on their bikes. So uh -huh. I can let people know, hey. This manufacturer has our stuff. Okay. I That's see. another outlet for us. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, what, um, what break? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me take a step back there. <laughs> what, um, what kind of maintenance should people be doing? I mean, is there like any other maintenance that you should do to your brakes other than just bleeding them? Um, I mean, cleaning them always is helpful, you know, mm -hmm. um, Something I like to do every so often is is lubricate the bushing and pivot area where the, the main rod goes through on the brakes because mm -hmm. they can get dry, especially if you're cleaning your bike a lot mm -hmm. um, on the actual lever assembly because that's mm -hmm. a very exposed portion where dirt always wants to go in there, the plunger yeah. assembly from the outside because there's yeah. a little pivot in there that connects to the lever assembly that goes into the plunger. Uh -huh. uh, another one I like to do too, that's always a good idea is to do, and we have a 
we have a great thing on our on the TRP cycling website of doing basic exercises and maintenance and stuff for people. So that's mm -hmm. another great resource. And another big one is doing what we call a piston exercise. Mm -hmm. so that's actually where you're going to take the pads out of the caliper. Mm -hmm. You're going to actually take our, our normal bleed block, which is to do the, the whole four pistons, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to turn that bleed block sideways and do two pistons at a side. And basically you're going to want to pop either the rear or the front two pistons out a ways, not mm -hmm. too far because pop them out too far and they're going to drip oil everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but you take the pistons out a few millimeters and clean them with alcohol and then lube them with mineral oil and push them back in and push them out and push them in a few times. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it cleans out that tight tolerance area where the pistons are going in and out for pushing on your brake pads, mm -hmm. takes dirt and grime out of those quad ring area mm -hmm. and lubricates that. Cause sometimes if any dirt gets in there, it can cause the pistons to hang up. Mm -hmm causes rubs or worse yet you draw dirt and crap that contaminates your oil back into the system mm -hmm. um, so those are probably the two most that that i tend to do what do you use to push the pits pistons back in i um i had a set of brakes once i think that had like ceramic pistons or something like that and i'm cracking them with a because i used to always use just a screwdriver and i just turn it in there like a big screwdriver and i just right. turn it in my head like well, normally Right. Push them back out, you know, and normally, uh, one time I broke them. Normally what I suggest is when I'm doing the piston exercises on my brakes, I will go ahead and pull the 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 turned bleed block out because uh -huh. you're doing two at a time. So they mm -hmm. advance individually um, or in pairs, excuse me. Um, I push the, you can push those back by hand. Oh, okay. Honestly, you just take and I usually reach up under the caliper and just, just push them back, back in. Oh, yeah. So typically you can do it by hand. If you feel you can't do it by hand, what I suggest is to go ahead and um, try and wiggle the bleed block back in. Mm -hmm. Usually they have an upper tab that you can push in there and start to pry. But I typically would use something, you know, of a plastic material, yeah. not metal like a screwdriver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I learned my <laughs> lesson the hard way. So, yeah but it's funny i mean like even parks tool like i think they have a tool that's for like pushing so the park but i think right. that's meant to be in between the pads huh it's meant to be in between the pads exactly yeah. like i say most of the time especially in our 2.3 caliper because it sits more offset than a standard caliper it's a yeah. little wider in that area you can usually get your fingers in there and just push back on the yeah on the pistons. Yeah, I, I still use the uh, screwdriver, but I, I use an old set of pads now. So I'm like, <laughs> old set of pads. I mean, I guess at worst, if you had to kind of ghetto fi it, at least I would put a t shirt or a towel down in there. So at least yeah. it's metal on metal. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Or metal yeah. on ceramic, depending on what your brake situation is, or metal yeah, on. Yeah in certain pistons. That was, an, that was an expensive mistake to, to learn, so. It, it can be. <laughs> the other one I always tell people to be careful of is watch the pistons as they advance. Because like I say, you don't want them going out too far. Yeah. Because you'll put, they, you can push those pistons out far enough where they'll just pop out and 
oils oh, wow. in. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, I've never done that, but I'm sure I'm always working on my bike when I'm drinking beer. So it's, I wouldn't put it past me that it happens. It's, it's inevitable. Right? It's, it, right. it's, it's either that or you, you know, you're in race mode, you're in a hurry or like, I'm trying to get my bike ready for a ride and the pistons yeah. are sticking. And so yeah. I mean, there's many ways. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Um, shoot. So we talked about the pads. We talked about the the different models of brakes. So if somebody has like a kind of, what would be the brake that you would recommend for most people? Like they're just like, hey, I, I'm I want to get new brakes. I don't. I got you know these whatever SRAMs that came on my bike, and they're not that good. And I want to try your product. What which direction would you you point them? It, it really depends on what that customer needs as far as brakes, because, you know, like you just you you had said earlier, a bigger guy to a smaller guy has mm -hmm. a lot of different needs compared to, say, an e-bike to yeah. say, a travel bike. Yeah. You know? So obviously. Um, if it's a lighter bike and lighter rider, you could use a less powerful brake mm -hmm. in most cases when we're talking ultimate power. Mm -hmm. you know to stop the bike yeah uh, so i'll give you an example my dirt jumper i run the slate evo mm -hmm. our base model 2.3 thick road yeah. it's a smaller bike it's lighter yeah. i'm not per se trail riding it where i need the most stopping yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't be putting a two hundred three on my dirt jump. Right, <laughs> one eighty rotors on the on the dirt jump bike. Right, right, right. And that's even pushing it. Right. Yeah. Um, but you go up to say my dual slalom bike, and because it's a race bike, I run the top of the line brake because it's mm -hmm. a race bike, and I want to have the most amount of brake I can have to stop. Same mm -hmm. with the downhill bike. Yeah. When you want the very most, you you go for the high end. I would yeah. say in most cases, most people will probably fall somewhere in the Slate Evo mm -hmm. to the Trail Evo or Quadium. Those three middle line brakes are mm -hmm. our most popular sellers, hands mm -hmm. down, um, next to the original Slate T4. The Slate yeah. T4 comes in as a standard 1.8 rotor brake where that customer's like, hey, I'm either a slightly bigger guy or I just want more than a two-piston brake, but mm -hmm. I do want to shave a little bit of weight. I'm a little mm -hmm. bit lighter guy. It's going on a hardtail. Yeah. What do you got that's kind of in between? Yeah. That's the Slate T4 standard. Mm -hmm. That has been, that is our best-selling brake that we make, hands down. Number two, just because of its price, it's $119 per line. Mm -hmm. It's and it works with standard rotors. It's just it's simple. It yeah. looks good. It works. Is that four piston? Is that two piston? It's all four piston. Everything in our line mm -hmm. currently, Robert, is four piston. Okay. Um, it just seems like with the bigger wheels and and the way things are going these days, you you need a little bit more than a two piston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In reality, it just is yeah. the fact. You know, as, as our wheels have grown and the geometries have gotten better and just things are easier to ride at, at, mm -hmm. at more capable speeds, you need a little more brake. And it's yeah, nice yeah. having that. The Slate T4 is kind of that super great balance between 
almost a light cross country break, but still having the four piston power, mm-hmm. you know, and good looks on top. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I am. Um... My 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 lady's bike. I I have some TRPs on there. I don't I don't remember which model they are though. But uh, just recently, I'm gonna ask you this. See what you tell tell me to do. I was there was something that was loosening up, and I think it was like I don't know what it was. It was like the the brake lever. The maybe it was the the little knob that adjusts the like the 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 bike point. You know, like where the, the lever goes in and the out. Lever reach. Yeah. So for for whatever reason, it was behind the lever, correct? Yeah. For whatever reason, it was getting loose. Okay. And it kept loosening up. So I put some Loctite on it. And when I did that, though, I got it on the plunger. And I was like, not even thinking about it. We were leaving for a ride. And I was like, ah, whatever. And then um, now the brake sticks. So what should I do just to take, should I just take the whole thing apart or? Shoot me a picture of it. I want to see where, where that material might have gotten. Because typically, yeah, actually, you're actually the first person that's asked me about that exact question. Yeah, yeah. I don't, it, I don't honestly, know exactly what to tell you, to be it honest. It was 100% my fault. You know, it was one of those things where it was like, I don't know why I didn't take the two seconds to walk over to the my wall of tools and spray some alcohol on it and just wipe it off then. It was just like in my head. I was like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. You know, and, and like we just left to go ride. I think we were in a hurry to go. And then like the next day, she's like, Yeah, my brakes like sticking. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, we, we can figure that out. Like I say though, I've never so this to to back up just a little. Yeah. There is some cases that I've ran into in the field where yes either the customer has turned the adjuster so many times that he's worn off the little layer of blue Loctite mm-hmm. to the point where the, the reach adjust moves. Yeah. Yeah. And typically, yes. What I will do is I will pull the knob assembly off and I'll rotate the thread out to bring the lever as close as I can to get the, to get the threads away from the plunger. Yeah. At, at, into the lever as far yeah. as I can go. Right. Right. And then I'll rotate it back in because then it drags it back in and I let it dry. Yeah, yeah. And then then there's enough material in there to keep the threads from because we're just basically trying to seize the threads. Yeah, I seize the wrong part. Right term. <laughs> let me we're trying to cause more interference in the threads. Right, 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 right. Um yeah, I I did the wrong never, interference. Never gotten to the point where I've gotten it into the plunger to where it's hanging. So yeah. yeah like I said, leave it to me, man. I'll, I'll definitely have to screw that shit up. No, <laughs> we're up to the challenge. We can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I've never <laughs> ran into that. So, uh, yeah. All right. Believe me, that was a first for me, man. I've been yeah, working on bikes for a long time, but I don't know why. Like, No, you know what? I, I, In my job, I run into stuff like this. It's just yeah. a fact that I see a lot of stuff. I've you know, I've screwed enough stuff up myself, right? Yeah. That's really how you learn, like in this yeah, case. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I, I have to be honest and just say, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll work on it. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to be a very honest person, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that's good, though. You know, it's like, 
I mean, that's the, all the answer that some people need to hear sometimes, you know, is like, all right, well, but we can figure it out. We can work together. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a way to, there's a, you know, there's more ways to do stuff than you could imagine. Um, but it's, that's one of the cool things is if I don't know, then you and I together or, you know, whoever I'm working with, we figure it out and we take care yeah. of it and we both know. And then that's yeah. something that either usually I can ask one of the other people on our team, have mm -hmm. you ran into this? And they'll yeah. say, yes, yeah. and they'll have a solution or yeah. they'll say no. And then I and the person I'm working with, we figure it out. And then we share that back to our team. Yeah. So that's a, another huge thing that we have going on is there's a lot of transfer of information amongst all of us. Yeah. So we all can kind of know what's going on because yeah. As much as we would like to say we know everything and we've ran into every situation and problem. Yeah. The world doesn't work like that, man. In reality, right. weird shit happens and you have yeah, to right. around it. I might be the only dumb gorilla with a bottle of Loctite dumping in on a plunger or so. <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> Somebody else has done it too. That makes me feel better. No, someone else has probably done it and they probably did it with a higher Loctite than yeah, right. or, or whatever you have, whatever yeah, number yeah. you put on that thing. Yeah. No, I was just using the blue stuff, but I had the right idea, but the wrong, the wrong, uh, wrong follow through. So <laughs> you know what? And I'll I'll be honest, you know, over the years I've gotten a little overzealous with the Loctite in certain situations. Sometimes so that stuff just that. comes out super fast, though. Too, you go to squeeze it because the bottle like is kind of empty, and then next thing right, you know, you're yeah. like, oh, I got all of it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, I'm gonna put a little dab on this bolt, and you're like, oh god, it's covered. Right. What do the I do? Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm sure that's probably how. how yeah, I don't feel too bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, let's see here. What else was I gonna ask you? Now I'm drawing a blank right now. So anyway, so um what uh what what um what are you looking forward to to doing at Sea Otter? So we're gonna be back at Sea Otter next April, of course. Mm -hmm. Um we plan on doing quite a few events next year. Mm -hmm. Um Sea Otter's on the list. We'll have good support at quite a few of the big mountain enduro events. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we'll do some of if they come around the more traditional events, um, mm -hmm. there is no inner bike or anything like that really anymore. Yeah. Um, per se. Um, a big part of doing stuff is, is going out to events and just meeting people and making sure we're supporting our consumers, our athletes, people who are interested in the product. Yeah. Because now more than ever before, there's more people using the TRP products. Yeah. So we're updating and, and upgrading our support network. That's a huge thing that we're working on in 2022 beyond what we already currently have, which is, is working fairly well for us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's cool because a big part of my job is to let people know, hey, you can call me. If you have a problem or a question or an issue you can call our office during the week there's people um, live answering the phones that mm -hmm. know the product and write it which there again back to that old school thing it's it's weird you call somewhere and need some help and someone answers the phone 
Right. What a concept. Right. It's always nice <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> so that's that's a, a big focus for us is 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 always making sure that we're attainable and, and easily approachable for people yeah. get their stuff taken care of. You guys have good looking products too, man. Um I remember the first product that I saw was you guys had some rotors. And if I remember correctly, they were like kind of have like a black color like inset into some of the like the the I don't know how you would say like the indentations of the rotor. Yes. And yes. So those, those were our, our series of rotors that had the, the black cleaning grooves. Yeah. In, in yeah. The break. Yeah. Right. And that thing, those look so sharp, man. Right. So you still make those? we still make those. Absolutely. Oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that I, that's one rotor I forgot that we did have um, yeah. when you asked about rotors earlier. Um, yeah. That that's always been a really popular one for us. Just because they look cool and it yeah they look super cool to shed mud and do stuff so um, along that line funny you should ask we do have available on our website now especially specifically primarily made for the DHR Evo I haven't tried to see if they fit some of the other Evo style calipers like the Trail and the other ones but we do make a mud cover for the dhr evos oh interesting into yeah it covers over the opening of the top of the caliper to keep mud from going in to the brake and they were used on world cup riders bikes in muddy conditions so we do actually have those available now on our website for the dhr evo huh that's yeah. that, that's interesting. I would have never really thought thought about that. Well, but. it's something that that there again harkens back to another break that we've had in the lineup for quite a while that I've used. Um, there's a break that we have called the spike, which is a uh, mechanical um, disc break that we use. I've used primarily on my fat bikes in the winter, and mm-hmm. it was designed with a cover over. The caliper portion to keep snow and mud out so that yeah. everything don't get frozen mm-hmm. it's the only break that i could really run consistently when it was below zero out here interesting um, yeah the i mean the non-mechanical you know fluid brake systems would work but they get very sluggish when it mm-hmm. gets cold so they don't mm-hmm. like to return the lever and they just they feel yeah you know uh-huh. like better term so the spike is a great mechanical brake that has separate pad adjustment and everything has great power especially Mm -hmm. with the spike lever but it originally came with a removable cover and yeah that's kind of where you know we came up with that um it's yeah i've never really considered like dirt or mud being in my brakes and like whether that mattered other than it just like getting noisy you know should people um hose off their brakes is it bad to use a hose on them like i don't think it's bad to use a hose on them you know i think more so a lot of people make the mistake of sometimes getting a little too zealous with um cleaning products on their drivetrain like Mm -hmm. degreaser and stuff and then not hosing it off into the brakes but a lot of times they'll hose it off and then want to use an high pressure air to blow mm-hmm. off the cassette 
oh. low contaminants that makes sense the hub into the brake mechanism yeah and so one it contaminates the rotor which right. the rotor isn't the worst part it doesn't help but at least right. the rotor is somewhat hard yeah the pads the softer the pad the more porous the pad is yeah. so the more that it can ingest gunk yeah that's where the contaminants could get into that pad and you would have to either really uh, deglaze the pad or if it's gotten enough material down bedded into the pad replace the pad yeah yeah it seems like my experience in life has been if you get something on your pads every like youtube video that i've watched of oh you can put it on sandpaper and use alcohol and rub it in this figure eight circle pattern or whatever it's like it never works man just go by well here's here's <laughs> another little tech tip all right um, and i learned this from from an old friend of mine um and i try and teach this to everyone about brake pads um very simple a lot of people make that common thing of you know i want to deglaze my pad it was contaminated. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it had some manufacturing stuff on it because it was yeah. it was it's almost new, right? But it's right. it's making noise, right? You know, and so they'll take the pad and a couple things I see they do wrong. One, they'll take the pad and put sandpaper in their hand and try and deglaze it, and that's not yeah. a flat surface, so you're not no. keeping that pad yeah. plumb and square, right? Number two, most of the time people are using sandpaper and they're, if they're smart, they're doing it in that figure eight, which mm -hmm. helps keep that flat. But when you're doing that, you're actually heating the pad up against the sandpaper and driving the contaminants right back into the pad. Mm -hmm. So the thing to use is actually drywall screen. You can uh, get it at Fred Meyer, Kroger. Yeah your hardware store, Home Depot, whatever. Uh -huh. But what you want to use is drywall screen because what it allows things to do, one, it's it's fairly high grit. Yeah. So it makes quick work of getting that pad flat. But number two, as you are deglazing that pad, you're dropping all that material through the screen. Yeah. The screen up and you're going to go, holy shit. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. That's the that's the hot that's my hot tip for the day. That's yeah. my tip. That was a super good one. It it, it really works. I've been doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, definitely. Ever since uh, I learned that tip years ago, I'm like, here, let me show you. This right? is my, this is your cheat, cheater, right? Yeah, here. for sure. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it, it works very well because if you put that on a very flat surface, table, bench. Yeah, that's usually what I would do. Your figure eight, all that crud falls down below, and you'll pull that pad up, and it'll be just pristine. Yeah. The would you put anything end, on the pad, like alcohol or anything like that? Or? I try not to. Uh huh. It's my personal belief not to do that, but uh -huh. everyone has their own take on it. Yeah. You know, some people believe that you can do the alcohol thing. If they're really that bad, you need to replace them anyway, in my yeah, experience. Yeah. Um, so I tend to, I'm of the opinion that I don't like to use anything in the pad because it is so porous. Yeah. Occasionally I, you know, I will clean the rotor if it's really bad with a little bit of alcohol. And if I don't believe all the alcohol has gone, I'll give it a little heat. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, but I the, was. I, I think the way the that I was harder of a material, even though it yeah. is porous still, but especially a soft brake pad. Whew, who knows how deep that thing's going and how long stuff's going to stay in there? Yeah, Did somebody. Had, I don't remember where along the line, but I think for cleaning rotors, I usually use like some kind of like citrus based cleaner and just like a brush, like a what do you call it? Like a like almost like a like a dish brush or something like that kind yeah. of just brush them off and then then probably yeah. clean it with alcohol afterwards probably what i would do yeah i tend to just not even do that with the rotors most of the time i find if if my rotor is that bad that i need to do that uh -huh. i probably need to replace it yeah yeah for me it's like i'm always just like not sure do i have anything on there i feel like if i'm just white like spraying it with water or alcohol i don't feel like i'm cleaning it you know what i mean so yeah maybe i'm going overboard or i'm just not even really doing it right but no it's never. it's always a hard thing because you know at the level of what the rotors are we can't microscopically see yeah what's, what's in there we're all all guessing yeah yeah 100 percent. so it seems like i've had more success taking and deglazing the pad then you know putting the everything back together cleaning with alcohol yeah. letting the alcohol burn off and then rebedding stuff in yeah it's been working for me right on yeah i'm definitely gonna have to remember that drywall screen trick drywall that. screen is it hands down is one of the best tips i ever got it's the way to go yeah sounds like it, as soon as you said it i was like that's that's genius i like it no, well, man, we're like coming up on two hours. Do you like to watch YouTube? Do you watch any? Uh, you watch? I do. I always ask people at the end of the show what channels that they like to watch, whether it has to do with biking or not, because it's always um, fun to, to hear so, some new channels. You know, I, I always like watching biking. Uh -huh. uh, I'm also a huge uh, car racing fan, Formula uh -huh. One, NASCAR, oh, cool, dirt track, whatever. If it's got wheels, I love it. Yeah, um, but uh, one of my other, you know, guilty pleasures that a lot of my friends know and my family know is um, there's quite a few um, days that they do. Um, there's a wrestling company called AEW, uh -huh. wrestling. I'm an old school wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. Right on the wrestling companies. And tonight they do, you know, TV shows on Wednesday night, but their Monday and Tuesday night show is a YouTube channel. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, just yeah, that's yeah, my pleasure is watching wrestling. It's you know. yeah, it's super fun. <laughs> that's funny you mentioned the uh, racing. I just watched this thing on Netflix about this dude that was uh, a professional race car driver that was like pop for like he was he was smuggling drugs like marijuana, and what? that he like got his uh, basically it's how he built his team, and he was like bringing like. 150,000 pounds of pot into the states at a time and like you're gonna have to share that with me I, oh yeah i have to I'll, I'll text you or send you an email later i i have to look and see i watched it earlier today and i was like dude this is crazy <laughs> i gotta know now now i'm super curious dude yeah i can't think of his name right now and it's like i just watched it a couple hours ago i'll send you an email though is uh it was interesting it was definitely like that's basically how he funded making this race team and he like won the first year that he was in nascar and then uh decided he wanted to try to do indy 500 and he was rookie of the year and like oh, i'm know. super curious now oh yeah 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 it was super it, it was it was fun it was a fun story to watch so 
nonetheless, man, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to to come Likewise. on and chat with me and looking forward to 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 bumping fists in Sedona and hopefully yeah. uh maybe we'll have a beer together or something like that. But absolutely but thank, you, thank you very much. It was very informative. There was a lot, a lot to um a lot of good information there. So if any of you guys are going to Sedona, definitely swing by and say hi to Jerry. Otherwise, um, maybe maybe see you at some some other event around the the Western U.S. here. And then, so absolutely, thank you so much. I really appreciate having me on and talking about what I love to do, man. It's yeah, great. yeah, definitely, definitely. So all you guys that stuck around, do me a favor. If you enjoyed the show, give it a thumbs up. Maybe hit the subscribe button. Don't be that guy that just listens to the show and just splits. Don't hit that button. So do me a favor, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like maybe on Apple Podcasts or something like that, and there's a, a place for you to write a five-star review, do that. It um, actually helps spread the uh, spread the love for the podcast and then other people get to, um, get to, to find out about it. Or if you have some friends that listen to podcasts and they like the mountain bike, shoot them over a link, tell them, check out the show. And uh, we can get some more people in and in, in pulling up a, a, a seat at the bar. And so on every Sunday, usually at 5 PM, we went a little early today, but um, either, either way, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook as well, if there is uh, usually before the show, I'll put up a post, let everybody know what um, time the show is on and who the guest is going to be. So keep an eye out for that. It's another good reason to go swing by and uh, give me a follow over there on the social medias. So that that's uh, that being that that's episode 102. Thanks again, Jerry. I really right. appreciate it. Cheers. Um, everybody out there. Remember one thing, it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one. <laughs>